Chapter Nineteen of the Humbugs of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rosie. The Humbugs of the World by P. T. Barnum. Adulterations in drinks. Riding home on your wine barrel. List of things to make rum. Things to color it with. Canal boat hash. English adulteration law. Effects of drugs used. How to use them. Buying liquors under the custom house lock. A homeopathic dose. As long as the people of the United States tipple down rum and other liquors at the rate of a good deal more than one hundred million gallons a year, besides what is imported and what is called imported, as long as they pay for their tippling a good deal more than fifty millions, and probably over a hundred millions of dollars a year, so long it will be a great object to manufacture false liquors and sell them at the price of true ones. When liquor of good quality costs from four to fifteen dollars a gallon, and an imitation can be had that tastes just as good, and has just as much jism in it, and probably a good deal more, for from twenty-five cents to one dollar a gallon, somebody will surely make and sell that imitation. Adulterating and imitating liquors is a very large business, and I don't know of anybody who will deny that this particular humbug is very extensively cultivated. There are a great many people, however, who will talk about it as they do in western towns about fever and ague. We don't do anything of the kind here, but those people over there do. There is very little pure liquor, either malt or spiritus, to be obtained in any way. The more you pay for it, as a rule, the more the publican gains, but what you drink is none the purer importing don't help you port is or used to be for very little is now made comparatively imitated in immense quantities at oporto and in the logwood trade the european winemakers competed with the dyers it is a london proverb that if you want genuine port wine you have to go to oporto and make your own wine and then ride on the barrel all the way home it is perhaps possible to get pure wine in france by buying it at the vineyard but if any dealer has had it give up the idea as for what is done this side of the water, now for it. I do not rely upon the old work of Mr. Death in the Pot Acume, printed some thirty years ago in England. My statements come mostly from a New York book put forth within a few years by a New York man, whose name is now in the directory, and whose business is said to consist, to a great extent, in furnishing one kind or another of the queer stuff he talks about to brewers or distillers or wine and brandy merchants. This gentleman, in a sweet alphabetical miscellany of drugs, herbs, minerals, and groceries commonly used in manufacturing our best old bourbon whiskey, swan gin, Madeira wine, pale ale, London brown stout, Heidsick, Heidsick, Clicquot, Lafitte, and other nice drinks, names the chief of such ingredients as follows. Aloes, alum, calamus, flag root, capsicum, cocculus indicus, copperus, coriander seed gentian root ginger grains of paradise honey licorice logwood molasses onions opium orange peel cassia salt stramonium seed deadly nightshade sugar of lead sulphite of soda sulfuric acid tobacco turpentine vitriol yarrow i have left strychnine out of the list as some persons have doubts about this poison ever being used in adulterating liquors a wholesale liquor dealer in new york city however assures me that more than one half of the so-called whiskey is poisoned with it besides these twenty-seven kinds of rum here come twenty-three more articles used to put the right color to it when it is made by making a soup of one or another and stirring it in at the right time i alphabet these too 
alkanet root annatto barwood blackberry blue vitriol brazil wood burnt sugar cochineal elderberry garancine an extract of matter indigo nicaragua wood orkel pokeberry potash kircitron red beet red cabbage red carrots saffron sanders wood turmeric whortleberry in all in both lists just fifty there are more however but that's enough now then my friend what did you drink this morning you called it bourbon or cognac or old otard very likely but what was it the glorious uncertainty of drinking liquor under these circumstances is enough to make a man's head swim without his getting drunk at all there might perhaps be found a consolation like that of the western traveller about the hash when i travel in a canal-boat or steamboat quoth this brave and stout-stomached man i always eat the hash because then i know what i've got it was a good many years ago that the parliament of england found it necessary to make a law to prevent sophisticating malt liquors here is a list of things they forbid to put into beer molasses honey licorice vitriol cassia cocculus indicus grains of paradise guinea pepper opium the penalty was one thousand dollars fine on the brewer and two thousand five hundred dollars on the druggist who supplied him i know of no such law in this country the theory of our government leaves people to take care of themselves as much as possible but now let us see what some of these fifty ingredients will do beets and carrots honey and licorice orange peel and molasses will not do much harm though i should think tipplers would prefer them as the customer at the eating-house preferred his flies on a separate plate but the case is different with cocculus indicus and stramonium and sulphuric acid and sugar of lead and the like i take the following accounts so far as they are medical from a standard work by dr dunglison aloes is a cathartic cocculus indicus contains picrotoxin which is an acrid narcotic poison from five to ten grains will kill a strong dog the boys often call it cockle cinders they pound it and mix it in dough and throw it into the water to catch fish the poor fish eat it soon become delirious whirling and dancing furiously about on the top of the water and then die copperus tends to produce nausea vomiting griping and purging grains of paradise a large kind of cardamom is strongly heating and carminative i e antiflatulent and antispasmodic opium is known well enough stramonium seed would seem to have been made on purpose for the liquor business in moderate doses it is a powerful narcotic producing vertigo headache dimness or perversion of vision i e seeing double and confusion of thought and b what else does liquor do in larger doses still like liquor you obtain these symptoms aggravated and then a delirium sometimes whimsical snakes in your boots and sometimes furious a stupor convulsions and death a fine drink this stramonium sugar of lead is what is called a cumulative poison having the quality of remaining in the system when taken in small quantities and piling itself up as it were until there is enough to accomplish something when it causes debility paralysis and other things sulphuric acid is strongly corrosive a powerful caustic attacking the teeth even when very dilute eating up flesh and bones alike when strong enough and if taken in a large enough dose an awfully tearing and agonizing fatal poison the way to use these delectable nutriments is in part as follows stir a little sulphuric acid into your beer this will give you a fine old ale in about a quarter of a minute take a mixture of alum salt and copperus ground fine and stir into your beer and this will make it froth handsomely cocculus indicus tobacco leaves and stramonium cooked in the beer etc give it force potash is sometimes stirred into wine to correct acidity sulphite of soda is now very commonly stirred into cider to keep it from fermenting further 
sugar of lead is stirred into wines to make them clear and to keep them sweet, and so on through the whole long list. It is a curious instance of people's quiet acknowledgment of their own foolishness that a popular form of the invitation to take a drink is, Come and hist in some pizen. I know of no plan by which anybody can be sure of obtaining pure liquor of any description. Some persons always purchase their wines and liquors while they are under the custom-house lock, and consequently, before they have reached the hands of the importer. Yet there are scores of men in New York and Philadelphia who have made large fortunes by sending whiskey to France, there refining, coloring, flavoring, and doctoring it, then reshipping it to New York as French brandy, paying the duty, and selling it before it has left the custom-house. There is a locality in France where a certain brand of wine is made. It is adulterated with red lead, and every year, more or less, the inhabitants of that locality are attacked with lead colic, caused by drinking this poisoned wine right at the fountainhead where it is made. There is more bogus champagne drank in any one year in the city of Paris alone than there is genuine champagne made in any one year in the world. America ordinarily consumes more so-called champagne annually than is made in the world, and yet nearly all the genuine champagne in the world is taken by the courts of Europe. The genuine hawk wine made at Johannesburg on the Rhine is worth three dollars per bottle by the large quantity, and nearly all of it is shipped to Russia. Yet at any of the hotels in the village of Johannesburg, within half a mile from the wine presses of the pure article, you can be supplied for a dollar per bottle with what purports to be the genuine hawk wine. Since chemistry has enabled liquor dealers to manufacture any description of wine or liquor for twenty-five cents to a dollar a gallon, there are annually made and sold thousands of gallons of wine and brandy that never smelt a grape. Suppose a wholesale liquor merchant imports genuine brandy. He usually rectifies and adulterates it by adding 85 gallons of pure spirits, refined whiskey, to 15 gallons of brandy to give it a flavor, then colors and doctors it and it is ready for sale. Suppose an Albany wholesaler dealer purchases, for pure brandy, 10 pipes of this adulterated brandy from a New York importer. The Albany man immediately doubles his stock by adding an equal quantity of pure spirits. There are then seven and a half gallons of brandy in a hundred. A buffalo liquor dealer buys from the Albany man, and he in turn adds one-half pure spirits. The Chicago dealer buys from the buffalo dealer, and as nearly all spirit dealers keep large quantities of pure, of pure spirits on hand, and know how to use it, he again doubles the quantity of his brandy by adding pure spirits and the Milwaukee liquor dealer does the same, after purchasing from the Chicago man. So, in the ordinary course of liquor transactions, by the time a hundred-gallon pipe of pure brandy reaches Wisconsin, at a cost of five or perhaps ten dollars per gallon, ninety-nine gallons and one pint of it is the identical whiskey that was shipped from Wisconsin the same year at fifty cents per gallon. Truly a homeopathic dose of genuine brandy! And even that whiskey, when it left Wisconsin, was only half whiskey, for there are men in the whiskey-making states who make it a business to take whiskey directly from the distillery, add it to an equal quantity of water, and then bring it up to a bead and the power of intoxication, by mixing in a variety of the villainous drugs and deadly poisons enumerated in this chapter. The annual loss of strength, health, and life caused by the adulteration of liquor is truly appalling." Those who have not examined the subject can form no just estimate of the atrocious and extensive effects of this murderous humbug. End of chapter 19. Recording by Rosie.